The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. For the final time in 2018, welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Since we've last convened, we've seen the ascension of a new footballing superpower on Merseyside, not Everton, a change of manager and mood in Manchester, and in the Wembley Tottenham metropolitan area, a 72-hour title challenge. We'll get into all of the rest of the festive football topics that matter, including Puel, penalties and Palace, plus our normal trip into mainland Europe and even a brief visit to our friends north of Hadrian's Wall. Yes, Scotland. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by 2018's finest tactical mind. It's JJ Ball. What's happening, JJ? Uh, Yes, many things. Again, it's almost a new year. Yes. I think my brain might not have switched on yet. (laughs) Come on, JJ. Pull it together. Pull it together. We've all had our fun over the last few days, but you've got it in you. I can see it. There's so much to get into today. There's loads. The games on the weekend were amazing. Yes, we'll get into all of it. The winner of 2018's least neutral Italian football specialist is Mina Razuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm good. I like the fact that you say 2018. So does that mean me and JJ and everyone's going to just change in 2019? Yes, absolutely. He's no longer going to be at the great tactical mind and I won't be well, Italian. Well, the, these are awards you need to look to retain <laughs> in the next season. Finally, it's 2018's best pound-for-pound football news hero. It's Matt Law. How are you, Matt? Wrong again. Good morning. <laughs> Come on, are you, are you not backing yourself? No. Who's your competition, Matt? Oh, I'm not going to go into naming names. No, there no. are none. Why no. offer free advertising? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Let us start with Liverpool, the supermen who have uh, seized control in the Premier League. It was a pretty imperious performance from them against Arsenal at Anfield. Is this the league's best team now? Are we ready to say that? Pep Guardiola thinks they might be the best team in the world. They are at the moment. They've got World or league? Uh, league. Uh, I haven't seen enough of the world. And that comment was quite self-serving as well. Yeah, I haven't seen enough of the world lately. Um, Manchester. I mean, a few weeks ago, I was sat here saying I couldn't see where Manchester City were going to lose a game, as other people were. So I'm trying not to get carried away um, with the form... I mean, Liverpool have been in good form all season, but at the moment they've just got such a wave of momentum behind them. They look absolutely unbeatable at the moment, but City have shown us that it can all change very quickly. And it'll be so interesting if City do beat Liverpool or if Liverpool lose a game, how they then react, because City didn't actually react well. And so that is now going to be the big test for Liverpool. That does almost feel like the biggest challenge for Liverpool is how they handle the pressure. It, it, it all got a bit silly in 2014, didn't it, with the with the this does not slip now uh, <laughs> moment. Uh, that's harsh, Mina. Sorry. How, how do they manage the pressure this time? How do they uh, How do they make sure there's a different outcome? I think they're year? managing it pretty well, to be honest. I mean, there's huge pressure on them to win every game, to stay ahead, uh, to keep the the big point gap between them and. Uh, and City, and they seem to be all right. They don't look panicked. They're not rushing any of their moves. They're still playing in a very composed style of football. To be very honest, any team that has that kind of defense, you know, they've only conceded 8 and 20. Defense wins two championships in my head. I've always thought that and always will. Attacking football is always fun to watch. But if you are putting philosophy ahead of logic sometimes, when you're not counteracting the, the loss of certain players, then it's a huge problem. And what Liverpool have is balance. They're not 
hugely as entertaining as they were last season, but they're still very good. They oh, they're, still... they're getting there now, aren't exactly. they? Like the, the Arsenal game was fantastic to watch. Uh, and yet there were still these articles that were coming out that were saying, you know, but are they as, unconvin- as con- convincing? And I'm like, I don't even know what more they're supposed to do at this point. Uh, is it, you know, throw caution to the wind and just forget about defending? That's what cons- what you consider a great, exciting side. But really, you know that the front three are going to get a goal between them. You know that the defence is going to hold tight. It's just a Wijnaldum has just been fantastic in midfield. It's a team that, for me, if they continue like this and if they do manage to shut out Manchester City... I, I really can't see a better team than them at the moment in terms of balance in the league. Pretty big game coming up on the 3rd of January, JJ, my birthday, of course, in which uh, <laughs> Man City host Liverpool. Happy how, early birthday. Uh, thank you very much, Mina. How, how do you see that game going? Uh, it's really difficult to call, isn't it? I, I totally agree with this thing about momentum with Liverpool, and I think a lot of their play is based on momentum and they bring this fear to games where teams are a bit afraid to go at them or open up because... They get torn apart, uh, and the pressure could well fall, help them fall apart. I mean, Jurgen Klopp's a bit more goofy and fun than you had super intense touching your face all the time, Brendan Rodgers <laughs> or Steven Gerrard. It's like, come on! Like, there's none of those uh, overly over the top kind of characters there. So we'll see how that one goes long in the season. February will be interesting when they've got loads of games coming up, and then injuries will start building up. But Man City will have to approach that in a. Um, who's at home again? City. City City at home so City's at home so they miss that huge home crowd that Liverpool get and I think it does make a difference because you surely it gives you an extra nth of percentage when you're trying to press and really go at an opposition team and City kind of struggle for that a lot of the time with the it can be quite quiet the Etihad but Pep won't change too much of their philosophy and I don't see if there's any difference sitting back against Liverpool than there is going at them either way you can get torn apart it just means if they don't score the goals that they keep scoring then eventually things could and they were nil-nil last time I, I, don't well know. I think if you do sort of take a little bit more of a defensive, defensively cautious approach against Liverpool it works better for you than just that's to, what City did last time they were they were more cautious they more didn't balanced. break with everyone through but Equally, they to do that this time, though. Don't they, don't they need to go at them a little bit, given not not necessarily because, you know, yeah, because there'll, there'll be a swing again, mm. you would assume, at some point in the season, but but just mentally, like, because of where they are, they're, they're you know... The... Tactically, they can't. If they lose possession, they just don't have the, the, they have the ability to suffer like Liverpool can. I think that that's a terrible approach from them, personally speaking. For Liverpool, the only way that I can see them in any way being struggling is if you close down the spaces for them and make it quite tight and, and, and very balanced, sort of really frustrating treat them um, the way that they, you've seen them suffer a little bit in Europe when that happens. City, it's it's that very fact that if you do play with intensity, if you play a Wolves-style game against City, uh, I, I just think they're a team that can fall apart. I think they can control the game, City. Liverpool are much better in transition and going vertically mm. really quickly. And that's the thing that Guardiola's talking about that makes them so dangerous, is that when they're on form and they have momentum and confidence it's very hard to stop that because they just come straight at you and they run at numbers but if you are positioned well and you have space and you stretch the pitch it can do one of two things either you can find a free pass and you can break against them and then constrict and control the pitch or they can go straight through the middle of you and score it's Guardiola's got a really tough task on and imagine you try and change the team a little bit to cater for their um, Liverpool's attacking threat but also City are at home and they have to take the game to them a wee bit more than they did at Anfield 
quick word on Arsenal. Why is their defence so bad? I know they've got a lot of injuries, but they're they're. A... I told you. Yes, yes, you've been you've been all over that one, Mina. But they've got a lot of injuries. But if you look at that back four, you would have thought there's enough there with proper coaching to. I'm not. Defend yeah. I'm not sure. No. I, I mean, compare it to some of the defences in the Premier League. They, you, you would. The defences of the top six, they've probably got the worst by mm. quite a long way. Lichtersteiner, I mean, crikey. Yeah, there's a reason why we let Unbelievable. them go. Unbelievable. We mean, don't he, let pigs go until they're 40. If we're letting them go before then, that means something. <laughs> he, I mean, he just can't play in the centre of defence. He just can't. He's all over the place. It, it's just caught up with them, hasn't it? I mean, they've got, they've got poor defenders. I mean, Mustafi's got to be one of their worst ever signings at 35 million. He is absolutely abysmal. Sometimes I think he looks quite good, Mustafi. Do you? Honestly, I think it's the problem is the fullback. So Liverpool kept attacking him down the wings mm. and they were getting caught out with that fullback. So they had Bellerin and Monreal. I think they'd be much better prepared, especially in 1v1s. They're getting doubled up on a lot. And Arsenal had Maitland Niles wide right, who wasn't really helping out at the right back, which he should have been. And they had Alex Awobi wide left, who wasn't really helping out at the left back. And um, they were just getting doubled up and outnumbered in those wide areas and because of that the centre-backs were being pulled slightly out of position to try and help them out and then the midfielders out of position so the whole thing became a bit of a jangly mess. Do you know why Liverpool was so good? It's that you had Mane trying to win back possession in midfield. You had the the forwards pressing from the front. Mm -hmm. Arsenal, there was no defending from the team unit. It was very much reliant on the back four. And they're not good enough on an individual level. I think it's a terrible back four. I do feel sorry for Emery if there's anything he needs to do. It's buy new centre-backs. But more importantly, he needs to get the whole team to play as a unit defensively. It will take away some of the sheen of their attacking play but I think it will give them a little strength because you're exposing those centre-backs way too often and they are poor just to begin with I thought their midfield suffered a lot because um, their their forward pressing players were Ramsey, Awobi and um, Maitland-Niles who aren't specially you know, spe- they're not specialised in defending nor are they ever been famous for pressing and tracking and running and doing all the work you need to do that kind of play and there's rumours that um, Emery's after um, Benega Argentinian midfielder, yeah. Um, who would control possession? Well, yeah, keep the ball in midfield because they couldn't keep it. They were they were struggling to get the ball from goalkeeper to defenders, and then defenders couldn't get out of their own half because Liverpool were waiting at the halfway line. Unless they were, if they got back to halfway line, Liverpool winning it back there. If they weren't, they were winning it near the Arsenal box. So they need, I think, someone who can take control of it and. Because Xhaka can't do it all himself. He to he's, he's just not the guy that I would go for, though. I think, I think yeah. what we're seeing, though, with Arsenal is however much Emery does, and I've actually been impressed with the work he's done since he's got there, and I do think, despite the fact there's not a massive points difference between where they were this season and last season, I do think he's, gonna, he's taking them in a good direction after yeah, Wenger. for sure. But they can't get to where they want to go without Kroenke seriously investing and them investing wisely. They just can't. He's not going to coach that group of players into suddenly challenging. It's just, we can see it's just not going to happen. It's unrealistic. And if Kroenke's not going to put forward serious money, if they're going to continue to shop around the 20 to 30 million mark, it's very unlikely that they're going to be able to recruit well enough to actually make up the difference. It's one thing having already a kind of base there and just having to add bits and pieces, and you might get away then. You know, Chelsea might get away with being able to just spend money on 20 to 30 million pounds because there's a base there, and they're already at a certain level. Arsenal are so far behind that to actually catch up, they'd probably have to spend so much money, and Kroenke just doesn't show where, where any Where would they spend other, other than their defence? A whole new back four, for starters. You think so? 
Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Who would you keep? Well, I think you can coach pretty... them. I think well, I think your back four, you you coach them to become a back four, but they've, they're missing the fullbacks, and it really does make a huge difference. So that's two fullbacks that. you need. Well, they've got you, you don't think Bellerin they need and Monreal are good, but maybe another left. Bellerin's back. always out of position. To, to be honest, so is Monreal. I mean, they're, they're <laughs> both really not very good. And Monreal's getting on as well. But you, but you can coach Bellerin especially because he's young. You can coach both of them. They've been to trying be for a while. I just, I think if if they're going to change, they'd need a whole new back four. Perhaps they need to build another layer of executive boxes onto the Emirates <laughs> Finance staff. Back to the important business of the title race. Last time we recorded, City had just lost their first game of the season. Since then, it's all got a bit weird. They uh, <laughs> lost at home to Palace, then they lost at Leicester in a, in a kind of narrow game that could have gone either way. Back on track with a 3-1 win at Southampton on Sunday. But, but how do you explain a dip in form, Matt? Uh <laughs> It's difficult. I mean, Mina will take apart City for us. I'm sure. <laughs> we'll just we'll just piece it together from previous uh, but, Mina uh, discussions yeah. about City and how. how but I, I think this this boils down to what I'm talking about with Liverpool slightly is is how you react to a defeat or how you react to a setback. And City didn't react well. And the, well, the, 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 the Palace one, game initially, oh, the, the Chelsea game you're talking about, they didn't react well to it. Well, they they, they reacted well initially, but I, th- I think they're because they've won the league. And because of what they've already achieved, they can't quite have the same level of determination as Liverpool. They just can't, whether it's half a percent or one percent. So this is psychology? I think there is psychology Definitely in there. some of it, yeah. They can't. It's, it's only human nature that you would... No. Liverpool must be more hungry for it than City. They must be. It's not Serie A where you can just turn up every year and win it. Oh. They must have that half percent more, Liverpool. That's not necessarily enough, but... I still think Liverpool will lose a game somewhere and then they're going to have that that test of whether they can bounce back immediately and go on a, another long run or whether it, it provides a stutter for them. And that's what's happened with City. I'll let Mina completely take a Charlie part. Austin's chance. That was, that was one thing that mm. was just like... It, what bothered me at the end of Match of the Day watching this was Ian Wright was like, OK, but they still created lots of chances, so I'm not worried about them. That's not what you worry about in creating a good when you create a good team. There are Huddersfield create tons of chances, you know. I mean, they don't score any of them. but I mean, that, there's a difference there in technical quality. But it's not what you need to worry about is it's fine. As long as they create lots of chances, they're still an, a team that can win this, this championship. That Charlie Austin chance, that chipped pass forward, those are the chances that they concede. That's a t- that, that's a chance that Liverpool doesn't concede. That's a chance that Real Madrid doesn't concede in the Champions League. They have enough in them to know how to cover up and limit what the other team can do. The problem I have with City and the problem I continue to have with Guardiola, which is why I, I struggle to see how he wins the Champions League, Honestly, is unless the forward line, unless it's too perfectionist, everyone, every single thing, every single cog in that system needs to work perfectly. And if it doesn't, they concede because he doesn't have any plan B. He doesn't have a safety net for a team. They don't know how to suffer when they lose possession. So if you don't have Aguero shooting from all cylinders, if you don't have Sterling getting the right passes forward and then you lose possession and the back is, it doesn't understand how to suffer in a way that Liverpool knows how it's, to, in a way that Real Madrid knew how to in the Champions League. You don't need to always play at the very best. You just need to win games, which is what Liverpool is doing. And you need to be able to have some sort of balance. But they often put philosophy before logic. You don't have Fernandinho. You may have to change a few things around. But yet you continue to, to play the ball out from the back 
play the ball out from the back because you think, you know what, it's Southampton, right? What's going to happen? Oh, it's so fun. Look how beautiful it is. And Mares nearly had that chance. You know, they played out from the back and Mares, you know, missed his opportunity to score. Great, but that sets a bad precedence because when you're not playing Southampton and you are playing a team that can actually score a goal like perhaps Spurs or or Liverpool, then you've just taught your players that it's okay to do that at the back. And this is where you end up running unnecessary risks. You take that to the Champions League and you concede goals to Hoffenheim, the most unsophisticated team in the Bundesliga. Honestly, these are the type of things that make me think, unless you know how to fix that at the back, how? How on earth can you claim to be a guy that can take on the Giants? Yes, it's pretty to watch. It's always beautiful to watch, but you need to know how to suffer. And I've not seen any of that. They, I thought they may have turned a, tur- some, a turn to leave when the last time they faced Liverpool. I thought they played cautiously and intelligently. And they need to do that again to try to win back points. But they need to know how to suffer because your forward line isn't always going to be amazing. Just wait. Do you think they'll win the Premier League? I'm always going to believe defence wins your championships. And if you only concede 8 and 20, Liverpool are massive idiots if they throw this away. It's actually, honestly, if they do, then it just goes to show you more about Liverpool than it does about City. You've got a question in the summer. Why, when they thought they were getting uh, Jorginho, they they didn't get him and they're just not trying to sign anyone else all of a sudden? Because but I mean, you think Jorginho is going to solve their no, no, problems? not at all. But what I'm talking about is they wanted a player in that position who would have. They need Colo Kante, but he wouldn't go for that because he wants people to continue passing. But, Let's have 95 players that pass. And no one anyone, so he won 100 points last season. He didn't sign against two, against two, the against the Liverpool <laughs> side that conceded 23 goals in the first half of the season. You know that Charlie Austin chance you talked about came about because Zinchenko lost control of the ball at halfway and they pressed and came about and the ball went over the top of a high line which keeps them further away from their goal so they can have more possessions so they don't concede so many chances. So Zinchenko lost the ball, ball went over the top. Charlie Austin could control it. He could have right Liverpool Fabinho played the pass inside his own half that went straight to Arsenal he had a 4 on 2 didn't score it it's exactly the same problem they're both no, playing Fabinho the same way with a high a line huge mistake, yeah? so Zinchenko but, it's the same thing it's one mistake by is, one player you're right but what Liverpool do they do that very very few how many chances do they genuinely concede in terms of it, like errors like that and how many times do you watch City and think that's them playing out in the box from the back you know with their with their goalkeeper all partaking in yeah, a they final they score from one of them why, why do you want to set this kind of precedence when, you, when you're facing big, bigger opposition next and then you're teaching your players that it's okay to do that in the box because you keep control of the ball so it means that you can have more possession you so that means you can create Lino, more chances. You, some of those players aren't Lionel Messi. They're not Sergio Busquets. They will lose possession. You will have a Zivinchenko yeah, so moment in every game. So those players. So then have a safety net. You have a safety net with Liverpool because you have Virgil net? van Dijk. Yeah, what's, what's, what's so you have Virgil be... van Dijk. You'll have, you'll have Milner come back. You'll have some sort of security where someone will come back or track back and do something special to ensure the defensive so, security. Uh, Mina, so, if you have van Dijk at the back, which they did, and then Fabinho passes inside and he's got four players running at him, what's van Dijk meant to do? If they had van Dijk in the Man City team, he would still be 2v4 in that same sort of situation. Like I understand what you mean. It's set pieces. Because then you have van a Dijk defensive midfielder difference. as well. Because you would have a midfield that Ferdinand would help him track back. Fernandinho is one of the best midfielders in the league. Like, easily. Which, which he's is a why, central midfielder. He's not a holding they... midfielder. He's not N'Golo Kante. And but he is very good. But what happens Kante's when he's missing? Either. What happens when he's missing? This, this, is, what, this is my point. Yeah, yeah. Well, so they, they didn't... there, yeah. Where's the Liverpool, Liverpool recruited best what do you out do? of everybody. What, no, tactically, what is he doing tactically <laughs> to make up for the fact there's no Fernandinho? You need a six in the system. Johan Cruyff used to always have it. It's his idea. Rinus Michel had the same thing at Ajax. You need that player. Johan Cruyff got done by Fabio Capello's side that had no centre-backs at the Johann time. Johan Cruyff's teams were some of the best of all time. Yeah, it was pretty to watch. What happened in the Champions League? They lost to a poor Milan side. 
This one could run and run. Can I just make a point? Yes, please. No, Matt. because if you are the greatest coach in the world, don't have eight attacking midfielders, have somebody to cover for Fernandinho. I'm, that was my only point. Can I make Tactically, a point? you can do something about that. I don't disagree with you. Right, so the last few years, Chelsea, when they won the league under both Mourinho and Conte, recruited better than anybody else that summer, those summers. Leicester, when they won the league, nobody recruited well. It wasn't a good year. All the top teams switched off recruitment-wise. Manchester City last season had recruited far better than anybody else in the summer. This The summer had just gone. Liverpool recruited much. They they were the only team at the top who got what they needed and what they wanted. I think it's coming home to roost with City. that Whether you think Jorginho is the right man or not... Mm. Pep Guardiola clearly felt that he needed either some backup in that midfield or there was a gap in that midfield. I don't understand when you don't get your number one target how there's not anybody else out there who can help. Now, that's been shown up because they started playing John Stones in midfield Mm. and let's face it, it hasn't worked. Left back, left back, they have a left back who's the most injury prone left back in the world. And yet they didn't sign anyone. So they're playing Fabian Delph at left back or they're playing Sinchenko again. That has caused them a problem. Yes. If they if they miss out, I totally take all your points on Guardiola. That will definitely be a major part of it, of his tactics and whatever. But another major part, it's been proven in history that the team that the group's best in the summer of those top teams in recent history generally goes on to win the league. Leicester were the exception, and that was the year when everybody switched off. But just isn't part of his... Let's be honest, even in Barcelona, yeah, he had Sergio Busquets. If Sergio Busquets is unavailable, who was there that takes on that role for them? Yeah, I'm not I'm not disputing that. But, but isn't that kind of their... the way that he loves to recruit, which is let's have 400 different attacking midfielders where there's constantly choice that can cover up for De Bruyne missing, that can cover up for Lero mm. Sane missing or Aguero missing or whoever it is. But there's not enough choice at the back. And if you don't have that choice, so what do you, te- what do you teach your team if you're having a huge... If, if someone can't score a goal, what do you teach your team to do? If you've lost your striker, like Maurizio Sarri lost uh, Iguain and then Milik in Napoli, what is he going to do? He's going to make Dries Mertens a striker and they're going to score goals, right? But I know you lose for, your defensive I midfielder. I know for absolute certain they've been using Stones as a midfielder in training ever since the summer. They've been trying to teach him. I, had a, I know Stones' people. I had a chat with Stones' people during the summer and they said he's going to end up playing midfield. I think I wrote something about it. He's going to end up playing midfield at times this season. They've been working on it. He clearly can't do it. It's, because it's it a hard suit thing him. to guide exactly. to make a player Fabian Delph, as well as we all might think he's done filling at left back, He's never going to be a great left back. Mm. If Menchie was available, then Delph would have played in defensive midfield. But my point is, if you don't have your defensive midfield, then get the whole team to share that task properly together. Maybe you'll just buy someone in January and we can put it all to bed. Let's talk. (laughs) Still think think Liverpool have more (laughs) Bannon. Let's talk about Tottenham Hotspur, who briefly seemed relevant over the Christmas period. Not so much after a 3-1 home defeat to Wolves. Still relevant. That's too harsh, isn't it? They're still relevant. They're just probably not going to win the league. Uh, They look very sluggish in the second half of that defeat to Wolves. Uh, JJ, do you think that's just tiredness, uh, time of season kind of thing? It uh, could well be. Um, I thought the interesting thing about this game afterwards is that uh, the XG, our old friend, expected goals. Nice to see him. Yeah, so <laughs> um, the score was 3-1 to Wolves, but actually the XG is 0.3 to Spurs, 0.93 to Wolves. So you could say that the chances they had weren't huge of huge quality. The finishes were amazing. Royal Jimenez has got a good finish on him. And I think Wolves has punished 
the little bits of space they got, I managed to get away with that, and good teams are able to do that sometimes. I think it's one of those games that they just were going to lose this Spurs side. I've always felt with Spurs um, for a long time now, they're brilliant at chasing, absolutely brilliant at chasing. They can chase, chase, chase. Do you mean when they're behind or just generally kind of... When pressing? they're behind, when they're behind. When they're behind in a title race and when they, they look like they're out of it, when they're behind in the Champions League group stages and they look like it's impossible, they're brilliant at chasing. When And I don't mean this by pressure because they can play with pressure, but when expectation falls upon them, they tend to fall down. It happens in semi-finals of cup competitions. It happens in the league. It obviously happened in that, that title race with Leicester City. The minute expectation falls upon them and it's different to pressure of when all of a sudden now you're going to win this game, you're going to do this, you're going to stay in it, they just miss something and it it might fall down to the experience of the players, it might fall down to the manager, but it feels like it's a recurring theme with them. The minute they get themselves in with a sniff of it is when they fall down. And actually when, when everything's against them and when no one expects anything of them, as was proven in the Champions League group stages, they're brilliant. They're absolutely brilliant, them. In Italy, they also have this reputation as being a Spurs team, you know, one that's like mentally weak at times, especially <laughs> if they think that they are like, you know, capable of winning it almost, you know. Is that off the um, back of last season with Juventus games? Yeah. yeah. It was a case of like, they needed 10 minutes to do that. And it was like, you were so on top. How have you not made the most of that? But actually, weirdly enough, I don't think this is the occasion. I do think Wolves are a really tricky team to pay for. To, to face anyway and they are a hard team to face when you're at your best let alone when it's that Christmas period and you've been playing so many games they're just so energetic and they play this such an interesting it reminds me a lot of Juventus under Antonio Conte it's just exhaustive tactics but it's dynamic it's fast moving it's energetic and if you're facing that and you're not even at your best it's it can be soul destroying and you saw Yoris wasn't at his wasn't at his best at the back I feel like you know had he been better Perhaps they, there was two goals there that he could have saved. Um, it's just that counter-attacking style, that energy that Wolves have. It's great for a team like them. On a bigger team, I don't think you can use those tactics. But considering they don't play as often as, let's say, the top six, then they can get away with it. And, you know, Espirito Santo has got them really motivated. So I just think it's a case of this is Wolves. It's that time of the year. You just don't want to watch. You don't want to play them. Do you think the speculation linking Pochettino to Manchester United is going to be a distraction? Um, it's going to be a description off the pitch. It's going to just keep coming up and up and up. Every press conference is going to be tense because of it. He's not really denied it, has he? Oh, no. There's no point in him denying it. I mean, even if he actually doesn't particularly want it, there's no point in him denying it because it's leverage with Daniel Levy in terms of trying to get money. It works in terms of trying to smoke out Real Madrid, uh, who I think he'd prefer to go to because it could force their hand. So it works for him on all levels, having, having Man United there. So there's no point in denying it. Um, You've just I, linked it likely to that job as well. Yeah, I know. I see that. Um, I don't see why it would affect anything on the pitch. The players might talk about it a little bit, but I don't think... He's not going to let it change how he works. He's not the kind of guy who's going to suddenly switch off and, and start spending his time talking to agents and, and all that business. He's going to do his job how he's always done it, and I think the players will. All I think it will do is create a bubble around every single press conference and every time he talks, but I actually don't see why that should transcend onto the pitch particularly. Let's talk about Manchester United. Fair to say it's all going pretty well for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer <laughs> so far. Is that down to anything he's done tactically, JJ, or is it just simply that the players have decided to start playing like professional footballers again? Yeah, I think everyone can <laughs> see it on the pitch. Like um, They've gone straight back to 
we previewed this actually on the on the website because um, we thought this is what he would do. And all he's done is move his defensive line much higher. They're attacking through the middle. There's heaps of width. There's overlaps. There's underlaps. Um, they're pressing. They're creating these little triangle patterns of play. So when they're passing forward, someone then passes out wide, passes inside to someone else. So they're, they've always got passing options. And that's the big difference. So when someone gets the ball, there are runners straight away. Luke Shaw and Ashley Young are getting the ball near the final third. Uh, Paul Pogba can look up and there are people ahead of him to run. <laughs> Marcus Rashford is unbelievably best. talented. Oh, he's so amazing. That double... Oh, he's so amazing. So I the, the died flip flap amazing. The flip-flap he did to go past one player was amazing. <gasps> but everyone seems to have missed the first bit when he, he jumps to turn round and then it's a free... You know the, the freestyle guys you get who do all the tricks in the cages and that? He, he does it. He pushes the ball outside and flicks it round the first defender. I think it's Ake comes to him and he goes round him. That that one's incredible. To do it in a Premier League game. I know. It's, it was so... It was like watching it. You were like, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I mean um, this it really proves that Mourinho had it all wrong. <laughs> yeah, they just weren't playing from where they. Do you think any blame to the players for that, Mina? Does it leave a sour taste in your mouth? I don't think this is. Listen, I, I'm one. Of, I don't subscribe to this notion where the, the coach is like twenty percent of of the final result or whatever it is, and it's all about the players and that they weren't ever good enough. Please come on, you know. They had Paul Pogba and one of the best attacks in in, in the world. Um, this is all about Mourinho, but it, more than it's not that you know Solskjaer's doing this like incredible thing. He's just gotten them to do what they know how to do and what they want to do, which is play attacking football. So it's like, all right, guys, you want to play attacking football? Let's go out and attack because clearly you can't defend. Um, so let's create lots of movement. Let's play with a lot of energy. You can see there's a lot more trust at the moment because when there are insertions from midfield and the way that, for example, Pogba's running forward, he knew that Rashford would get there. He knew that that ball would be delivered. So there's a lot more trust and faith in each other. There's a lot more excitement as well. If you're being asked to, even saw Eric Bailly doing like things that he hadn't been doing in ages. I mean, obviously the, the red card was. I mean, he put in a few horrible challenges. <laughs> yeah. he, he did put in a few challenges. He's been sent off for eight times. <laughs> At least he's trying, though. At least he's trying. But you know what it is? Yeah, to get that... New Year off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what he's doing. The intensity of it. It's like when you're really enjoying what you're doing, you're more likely to do better at it. And they're just clearly enjoying what they're doing, and that's it. It's it's just about harmony. What makes for Jose Mourinho, Matt? <sighs> Don't know. Maybe Real Madrid. Perez still likes him. He'll get something. I mean, do you think he'll get a really big job like that again? I mean, the the trend graph yeah. for Jose Mourinho is not. I think other than Real Madrid, he won't get one of the big, 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 big European jobs. So then it's whether he wants to go into international management or or do something a bit left field for an awful lot of money. Um, I think Milan would take him if they were. Off. I suspect though. Well, Inter Milan would definitely. No, Inter have come out and said they wouldn't. Obviously, they're lying. Exactly. I agree with you because <laughs> he's—they're the only club where he left where he's actually still universally loved, um, mm. and it didn't all go horribly. That was wrong kind of the him. peak, wasn't it? In retrospect, that yeah. treble in Italy looks like the best, the best part of his career, really. But I mean, he was—if he stays out of work long enough, people will possibly outside this country, people will still forget how bad it went and just remember all the trophies and all the success and look at the CV. So it's not it's not kind of over for him. Um, I really hope he goes away and kind of relaxes and and tries to reinvent himself a little bit when he does come back. But I I do feel a little bit like it doesn't reflect that well on, on some of the United players, this. I mean, I felt that at Chelsea. Yeah, I do feel uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I totally get that they feel the whole place is happier. Mourinho turns places toxic to the point where it's not just even the playing staff, the whole staff... It filters down within the club, so the whole feeling around the place is horrible, and that's not going to help anybody to produce their best work. Fine. But 
I still feel like some of those players now all of a sudden coming out with massive smiles on their faces and and playing like you know. Is it not part of a manager's job to ensure that the it players is part, are but it's also part. But it's also part of a player's job to be professional. And no, but that's just... I'm not sure some of them were being professional, and I think that happened at Chelsea as well. I still think there's a level of professionalism you can show when you're unhappy to not just go out and completely down tools. I mean, Paul Pogba, come on, he's got to have been doing better than he was doing. Look, I agree with you in the sense that, you know, I, I do think that the way that he's behaved and even his attitude in Italy at times was a little bit questionable. But it is a case of just imagine if every time we come onto the spot and the best thing that we do is have arguments and talk whatever it is that we talk about. And we're, now tasked, <laughs> and now we're tasked to discuss rugby. Yeah. And you'll have to like study a lot because it's not your sport, for example. And then you, you're constantly doing something you don't want to do, but you're doing it because you're professional. There's only so much to how much you can be professional. Eventually, it's going to come out in your work that you're miserable in what you're doing. And I just think asking them every day to defend, telling them that they're rubbish at what they're doing, that actually I didn't get the players that I really wanted. And, you know, you're being stripped of your vice captaincy and you're this and you're... Eventually, you're just like, you know what, I... I I am still only, what, 24 years old. I agree with that. I do agree with that. But I also still think there's a percentage of that that doesn't reflect well on the players. I don't think you can just absolve the players of any blame completely. There are players there who definitely just down tools and decide, I'm I'm just going to call it in until Mourinho goes. I don't think that's a very good attitude. Pogba's media stuff is a little bit... I don't think Alex Ferguson would maybe have allowed that kind of thing because it does make him seem as though he's at one with the club and the manager isn't, which is then you going above that. And it also just makes you wonder what happens when they make the next appointment. What happens, this this group of players, what happens yeah. if they don't like the next appointment? Do they just down tools again? It is player power. And it is. this is why I think it's important to have a strong management that scouts better as well in terms of how you balance veterans and experience and leaders and, you know, youngsters. And I do think there's a problem in how they scout their players because it just seems, seems to be that this is a very strong dressing room. But can I just say, because we haven't had the chance to talk about this because we had our little Christmas pod break. <laughs> You sound so angry about it. <laughs> yeah, he was really angry about it. I, uh, was it coming on Christmas Eve, did you mean? Yeah, we should be in on Christmas Eve. We I should agree. be professional. We're unprofessional. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, why are they allowed to loan a manager? It's an absolute farce. <laughs> they're they're Manchester United football club. They're paying them some money. And they're loaning a manager off mould. It shouldn't be allowed. It's stupid. No, the best was when people were like, will he leave mould? They really like have an interesting project and is he going to leave it for something to... United. <laughs> if they want, if they want Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he should have to quit mould. He shouldn't be allowed to loan managers. It's an absolute farce. I like Stupid. it. Stupid. No, it's pathetic. <laughs> it's absolutely pathetic. Do you think they should loan out Bielsa? <laughs> no, nice. That'd be that'd be fun. But if, if he wants to be Man United manager, quit moulder, or Man United have to find a proper caretaker manager. Loaning managers, no way. Take that, Norway. It is Norway, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Keep that in, please. <laughs> You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League at great speed. Chelsea saw off Crystal Palace on Sunday. You were there, Matt. What, what sort of shape are both these clubs in? Well, it's a boring old game. Um, <laughs> Crystal Palace are going to sign Dom Solanke and they need something because they had... Permanently or loan. on loan. Um, and it's a gamble because he obviously hasn't played any first-team football really for his whole life. Um, but they need something. I mean, they didn't. I don't think they had a shot on target uh, in that game. And 
they just didn't. They just had nothing going it's, forwards. It's I mean, it was against Chelsea. Park. They've got the the fanatics have come back, haven't they? Now they have, and they've, they've got their, their position back. I think in in the stand, but uh, yeah, it's rowdy-ish. But they've got nothing to be rowdy about. I mean, they're just offering nothing going forward. So, so there's going to be a lot of pressure on Solanke going there because they've. While I don't think they're going to go down, they've just got nothing going forward. Chelsea, lots of possession, didn't create an awful lot of chances. I mean, Kante came up with it. I, it feels a bit like at the moment watching Chelsea that you're constantly just waiting whether Eden Hazard does something. I mean, they actually won this game without Hazard scoring or assisting, but they're in danger of becoming just this one-man team whereby if Hazard does something, they win the game, and if he has an off day, they just they, they struggle because it, the whole team just look as though they're going to pass it around, pass it around, pass it around, pass it around. Is Hazard going to do something? No. Pass it around, pass it around, pass it around. <laughs> it just got that little feel about it. And I, I've actually watched them thinking about what Mina said before about this Sari kind of tactics in that they don't get the ball into the box. They don't actually create an awful lot of chances. They have so much of the ball and pass the ball so much, but they don't actually create a lot. Almost avant-garde management from Claude Puel over the festive period. He effectively threw the League Cup tie against Man City, then... Won against the odds at Chelsea, beat City at home, and then lost at home to Cardiff. What is he up to, Mina? <laughs> Explain Claude Capuel to me. I don't know. I honestly wouldn't know. I don't, I don't think that he's meaning to do that. I didn't <laughs> expect this kind of game from Cardiff. I, I feel like JJ would probably have something to say about that. But um, they just have a really terrific goalkeeper, Neil Etheridge. I think that yeah, that's, he, he is such a... He's fantastic, Philippines honestly. number one. Yes, very thin gloves as well. What number one? <laughs> he plays for Philippines. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. No, nor did I. I was sat in my car the other day thinking, maybe you should get a chance with England, and then realised he's actually already been playing for the Philippines, which passed me by. A terrifying glimpse into the car of Matt Law there. Uh, well, my car's very tidy. Oh, good. And that's old Bamba intervention. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what a wonderful man. Some penalty taker fun at Fulham over the weekend. Uh, Bubakar Camera wrestling it off Mitrovic to take the penalty and then missing. I don't understand, JJ, why you would be so bullish about wanting to take a penalty unless you felt 100% sure you were going to score it. How do you explain it? Well, he must have thought he was going to score it, though. That's the thing. If you, and he won the penalty as this well. Is, this is well, toxic masculinity in action. Maybe, but then sometimes... like. When you're playing and well, I can only do it from like Sunday league style, but you get fouled and you want the penalty because you've won it and it's your chance to score and you know you can because you've done it in training and you know you can finish. But uh, obviously, I've heard someone say that oh, when he gets the foul, he's got to score. I mean, he's not trying to miss. It's not like, <laughs> do you know? But Didn't you've it used got to, to be quite popular before. that players who took penalties. Yes. But won them, then wouldn't take the penalty. Yeah. It used to be a superstition that if you won the penalty, you, you mm. didn't actually end up taking it. I enjoyed it. Ranieri saying afterwards he wanted to kill him. Yeah, good luck. We've seen the size of him. <laughs> I mean, he is the only player on the pitch who could have had that fight with Mitrovic, and Mitrovic ended up backing off. Cause also, because I Mitrovic do... would kill any other player to get that I ball. Love, I love Kearney as well, who's normally the Fulham captain, just standing off it, just watching it happen, being like, I don't really want to get Don't want to get involved <laughs> between these two. But, yeah. but it was really nice of Mitrovic to give him a kiss. Was it, or was that just quite clever? sort of self-PR to kind of have the row with him and then just at the last minute pat him on the back <laughs> probably contribute to him missing the penalty and I, yet I, all, I, the, all the fans think you're a hero for I thought it's quite clever of Mitrovic I'm marking off so cynical the way you very think. cynical yeah, <laughs> very cynical can anyone here work out Everton they lost 6-2 at home to Spurs they won 5-1 at Burnley and then they lost at Brighton I, I don't know what you glean from a run like that tactically naive okay 
They are just a they are a team that have a philosophy. They attack if they if they don't know how to get anything from that attack, then they end up just conceding tons of goals. I'm confused by them because I thought they were sort of looking like they were heading in a good direction under Silver, and then I don't know whether they are or not. I don't. It can be fun to watch. I, I'm massively confused by them. They, they're clearly better fun to watch than they were under Allardyce. Are they actually going anywhere? I'm, I'm not sure. What are they going to achieve? I, I, They've got a squad of players who could finish in a top eight. They're playing like a team who can sometimes win games by playing nice football, but if they're not quite on their game, they maybe don't. They've got good individuals. The team's quite solid, but it's not as good as the teams above them. So I think they're actually kind of pretty much shooting where they should be. It's all a bit Everton-y, isn't it? <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. Very medium. Audio Football Club in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. A song for Europe with Mina Rizuki. Let us talk, Mina, about the VAR controversy in the Juventus versus Sampdoria game. What happened there? Oh, God, this was a ridiculous game. This was the kind of game that basically you would have one scoreline now and you would have one scoreline three years ago. Um, so VAR just changed the entire match. In fact, it was kind of like there was no referee on the pitch because all you ever saw was him just going up to the... holding up that little microphone or whatever is in his ear. Not microphone. Remember, we can't see what you're doing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm just holding my hand up to my ear um, and listening in for instructions because it just seemed to think that he just didn't really know how to make a decision unless he got some help, you know? So, and there was a lot of handball, which is a horrible thing to do because the whole point of a handball is that he needs to be intentional. So the first, so Juventus get a goal in two minutes. Ronaldo is just on top form. He's a top scorer at the moment in the league. No surprises there. Emery Chan then goes to defend Juventus, obviously, he goes up and then his arms come out wide um, and the ball hits his arm and they give that as a handball. I mean, it, like you, you have to put your hands up to, to, in order to jump. So the whole thing made no sense that Juventus would concede a penalty, but they did. And uh, I was going to say Everton scored, but it wasn't Everton. <laughs> <laughs> um, and who was it that they played? Oh, Sampdoria Sorry. scored and Quarela scored. Then the other side, again, once again, it was a handball and there was just nothing that Sam Dory could do about that because it wasn't handball. It was one of those moments where the ball just hit the hand. It's not fair. It got counted. Another penalty. So now it was 2-1 to Juventus. Then there was a terrific goal at the very end um, by Sam Doria. But there was an offside earlier in the move and uh, they looked back over VAR. It took about seven minutes for them to decide that actually there was an offside and Sam Doria didn't get it last minute equaliser. Two penalties shouldn't have counted. The third decision was the right one with VAR, but the whole time it just seemed like the referee had no authority on the pitch. He was constantly asking for instructions, constantly looking at VAR, and you just kind of felt like it took away something from the game. All of this fun coming soon to the Premier League. What about that penalty, Mina? Uh, Aduriz for Athletic Bilbao (laughs) saw it uh, many, many times over the Christmas period. Have you ever seen a one-step technique like that before? I want to see more of this sort of thing, creative set pieces. He's such an interesting player, isn't he? He's the kind of guy who got better after 30, (laughs) and you don't have that, I guess. Is he now 35, is he? He's now 37. 37? Mm. My word. I mean, he's just a, he's just a wee lad if it's in uh, Italy. But anyway, um, and, uh, Athletic Bilbao are just having a terrible season. and You have to feel sorry for them. They, this could be uh, the first season in which they get relegated if they don't start doing better. But uh, that one-step penalty was Pepe Signori. 
Do you remember oh, him? Oh, of course I do. Yeah. I remember him as being the only guy that I can think of as uh, as a guy that was really. In fact, if you Google him, that's the first thing that comes up. You know, is one step penalty. But he would have like almost. It's almost like two steps, to be honest. You know, the way that he did it. Whereas with Adaris, it really was just tap. You know. A friend of mine and I were in uh, Italy once, not far from Milan, and we tried to get to a nightclub. We, we'd had a drink quite late at night. We had some sort of vague directions to get to it. and was sort of walking along the side of the motorway to try and get to this nightclub. Uh, and the police uh, didn't like what we were trying to do uh, and came to talk to us. And uh, it was pretty scary because we didn't speak any <laughs> Italian. Uh, and my friend, uh, we, we were with a guy who did speak slightly better Italian, but my friend uh, didn't make the situation any better because all he said to the policeman was just Beppe Signori. He just kept repeating <laughs> Beppe Signori's name. Um, fortunately, didn't get involved uh, in, did you ever uh, get in the, in the Italian club? police? No, we no, we went home. We took the Hazaki <laughs> to go home. And did you see Beppe Signore three times in the mirror in the nightclub? <laughs> and there he was! Someone took an amazing penalty against me. JJ, talk to me about Scotland, please. Uh, the most exciting game I watched over Christmas was the old firm derby. Rangers beating Celtic. Gerard seems to have had a real impact there. Can they win the league? Uh, well, it's an interesting title race in Scotland, as I've been saying to everyone all season long. Uh, there were some really good games over the Christmas period, actually, in Scotland. Aberdeen 3, Celtic 4 was an amazing game to watch. Um, this Old Firm derby was one of the, the best we've had in recent times, purely because it was competitive. So Celtic have uh, just rolled over Rangers recently. They've not been good enough, anywhere near good enough. Uh, and Rangers are looking more like a team that could could push, but they're still missing a lot, really, in that team. Gerrard's got them organised and they, they look decent but they've conceded silly goals and they drop points at different places they didn't make the League Cup final and they should do their wage bill is huge compared to the rest of the, to the league Celtic are way out in front of them with huge revenue um, it's interesting to see how it's going to go I mean they're meant to be signing Stephen Davis soon apparently that's meant to be happening but he's on 60 grand a week at Southampton <laughs> so I don't know where the money comes for a player that would surely go down to 30,000 or something like that they shouldn't really have that and they've got huge debts as well but the interesting thing about Scotland especially is that over the calendar year, 2018, the uh, team with the most points is Kilmarnock. Wow. Yeah. The last time that happened, uh, or the last time a team not from Glasgow won the, the league, they were top it, top for the whole calendar year. So, And genuinely, I know it's, people will say, no, it's not, Celtic will walk it or Rangers will be there. Killy and Aberdeen are close. And it's every team in that league has a different style. So you know there's a different game on. It's never just... Punt, punt, punt. One team will keep it, one team will punt, and then it will reverse in different games. But it's been absolutely brilliant, yeah. Sold. <laughs> Let's cut the dossier. Finally, AFC teammates, with 2019 edging ever closer, can you please all give me a New Year's resolution for a football player or manager of your choice? Here's a few from our friends on social media. Gareth Vigors says, Sarri should stop sucking fag ends on the side of the pitch. Sounds fair. Uh, Nickel11 says, Unai Emery, begin to use toothpaste. Not quite sure why. Uh, and uh, <laughs> finally, Vitus Dioha says, Eden Hazard should be thinking of a butt reduction procedure. Really? I, no idea. He's got a big bump. No idea. What's yours, JJ? Um, uh, go to someone else first and come back okay. to me. Okay, Mina. <laughs> Oh, this oh is going my well. word! This is going well. <laughs> Nobody's done their homework. No, absolutely not. I have one. Outrageous. Well, I, mine's only slightly spoiled by the fact that two of those were Chelsea. So now it just feels like a big kind of Chelsea New Year's resolution. I'd like N'Golo Kante to become bad. 
like the world's nicest man to become an absolute arsehole. So you might have to bleep that bit um, and just be horrible, arrogant, come up with his own image, almost like peel his face off to reveal the real horrible Angolo Kanto. I just think it'd be great fun. The dark Stop being so Moore. nice, Angolo Kanto. I love him so much. Would you I, love I just, him if he's I, horrible? Yeah, but I, I think I'd love this guy. Whatever. I will accept a personal New Year's resolution from each of you. I know. I just want people to fall more often and just try to deceive the referee. I know that sounds crazy, but like <laughs> oh just join what? the rest of continental football. Yeah, and stop. It just hit every time someone falls or like you know oh, he's diving. Oh my god, how awful! You know, like this isn't the huge, the biggest problem in football. So let's just accept it. It's part of the game. You're supposed to dupe the referee. You're supposed to get away and push the limits. Just do it. Um, I would like it on a personal note if Unai Emery could slow down when he talks. I love that he talks so fast. <laughs> when I transcribe him, I try and do it word for word in my live blogs. And when you read it back, like that doesn't make any sense at all. But it sort of does in context. I often think live blog <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'll go with that. But yes, I would like so that. Far. Obviously, I can't really talk because I, I can't speak any, English, any language other than English particularly well. So... Even English is sometimes a struggle. Uh, As proven there in that sentence, (laughs) yes. I think you win, though, JJ. I think that's the best answer. You win today's fictional prize. Yay. Do you think Klopp could stop laughing as much? (laughs) (laughs) That's not cool. He doesn't like it when he loses, and then he doesn't laugh, and then he's a real jerk. Oh. He's really horrible to some of the people that talk to him, but it's just when he loses. Yeah, this is what happens. You just become mean when you lose. Do you think he's a nice man, really, Klopp? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think he really is. Yeah. I think he's lovely. Oh, be, really? Be, I don't. He's a winner. He's I'd be upset if he wasn't a nice man. I don't know about this. You know, I don't know how much in life, you know, there is self-promotion and I'm just falling into the cynical hole that sort of Matt d- dug up with uh, Mitrovich there. But I wonder how many people are really nice. I just wonder whether, like, you know when Pep Guardiola goes home and just talks to the kids about who he's going to take them to school? Do you think he shows them a whiteboard and just goes, right, you go here, you go there, I'll go there? <laughs> I always wonder whether they're the same when they go home. It's best to assume everyone's evil, isn't it? Happy New Year! <laughs> <laughs> That's all for this week. We'll be back with you next Monday as usual, full of resolutions and FA Cup-inspired bonhomie. Contact me on Twitter before then if you'd like. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. You can also email the podcast, afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club on your nearest internet. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons. And thanks to you for your company. Happy New Year. I'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>